Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Once again, I know I said it up front, but we are so thankful to have you with us here this morning. Uh, we're in a, a season in our church here for about four weeks. Uh, our pastors, Lance and Angel, are on a sabbatical, and so uh, you guys got to hear from Pastor Matt Anderson a couple weeks ago. You got to hear from this really good-looking guy last week, and uh, this week we get to have one of our friends come in who, for us, once again, we kind of had this heart and this mindset of, I mean, let's hear from people that we like to hear from and people that we're in relationship with. And so uh, Pastor Josh Williford has been a friend of mine now for, I couldn't remember how many years, it's over 10 uh, where we've been friends and known each other, and uh, he's been gracious to stick around me for that long. But we're so thankful to have him with us this morning. Josh was a pastor at New Life Church in Aurora for 10 years, and then transitioned to our network office down in Columbus, where uh, he's the leader development director. And what that means is he gets to help resource leaders and churches to help all of our churches in Ohio, over 280 of them, uh, grow and try to reach their God-given potential. So we're so thankful. He got up early this morning, made the drive up. Would you guys give it up for Pastor Josh Williford? All right. How's Wadsworth this morning? All right. Listen, I got up at 5.30 in the morning this morning to come to see you. And so we've got to make an agreement together right here at the beginning. If I talk at you, you're going to talk at me, right? You're going to shout me down. I grew up in the South where my pastor used to say, if you don't have anything to say, you just say it louder. Okay. And so we're going to do this thing. It's so good to be with you here this morning in Wadsworth, Ohio. Uh, Radiant Life is one of my favorite churches in Ohio. Don't tell all the rest of them, but uh, it is one of my favorite churches to be a part of. Love your pastors, uh, even Anthony, uh, even him. Uh, you know, when I saw that the, the Johnsons were going to be coming on the team here, I thought, Man, a couple of things. The great, great grab. Uh, what a great, great couple. And then uh, you need to increase your insurance uh, coverages. Um, uh, no, it's so good. So good to be here uh, at this great church. You're a part of something so very important. I don't know if you know this. Sometimes we forget this. That we're part of a much, much larger family. Here in Ohio, it's 288 churches. Uh, and about 914 ministers, and right now, about 45,000 people who are worshiping the Sons of God Church across Ohio, 75,000 people calling that AG Church their home, and you're a part of that. You're a part of that really important thing as we gather together to reach our state for Jesus Christ. And it's just so exciting to see what God is doing across Ohio. We were able last year to plant 17 churches across the state of Ohio. We saw thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We hit all-time records in things like people being baptized in the Holy Spirit and transformed by Jesus Christ. It's just incredible to see what God is doing. And uh, sometimes we lose sight of it because it's not just what's happening in Ohio. You're a part of a movement of 13,000 churches across the state of, excuse me, across the United States, about 3 million people, but it's even bigger than that. And this was what really blows my mind. We're a part of a movement of 300 50,000 churches in 220 countries and territories of the world. 90 million people. 
Every time, yeah, you can praise God for that. Every, time, every 90 seconds, someone is coming to faith in Jesus Christ in a church just like yours across the, the world. Every 90 minutes, a church is planted and a minister is launched uh, in a, just like what's happening here. And we're part of that thing. It's exciting. Uh, it's exciting. You know, we tell stories about our, our movement. It's not that we're the only thing around. It's just what we're a part of. And I think about the foresight and the insight of the Holy Spirit in some very courageous and brave people more than 100 years ago gathered together and said, man, we're, we want to do something for Jesus. We feel like God is at work. We feel like God is moving in a unique and fresh way. And certainly he was. It was a time and a season like no other that has shaped the, the century that followed it. They gathered together in Stone Church in 1916 at the Second General Council, the Assemblies of God. These, these people who, who had gathered there had been kicked out of their fellowships because of a, a fresh expression of the Holy Spirit that had come upon them. They, they, had, they were, un, many of them, uneducated, unschooled, and untrained. But they gathered together and they made this audacious statement. And there have been times when I, I wondered if they understood what it meant. They understood the, the uh, mag, uh, magnanimous nature of what they were about to say as they gathered together. And it's a, it's a fascinating story we don't have time to unpack today, but they, they came to a conclusion that said, we have commissioned ourselves for the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. How, how could they have ever understood something so significant as what would today become 90 million people worldwide? I, I don't know if they could have grasped that. Nevertheless, they commissioned themselves by faith to do that great work, and I'm grateful that you and I are part of that great work. The seeds that have been sown there are being harvested today. I'm grateful for that. Grateful for that. So really grateful to be here this morning. Um, I have to be honest with you. Uh, I don't often rise at 5.30 in the morning, and so I have been groggy all day. And, and some of that I'm realizing more and more now um, it's just the space in life that I'm in. When we moved um, to Columbus, we, of course, lived in Aurora uh, for, for 10 years, as Anthony said. We loved pastoring that church and um, felt the Lord stirring our hearts, though, to, to slip into this role where we get to serve lots of churches and, and uh, lots of leaders, and that's a, a ton of fun, and we're grateful for that. And at that point in my life, I was still laboring under the idea, holding on to hope, holding fast to a thought, um, uh, that, that I was not um, aging, Okay. Um, at this, this phase, place in my life, I, I, I was, uh, let's see, uh, around 36 years old at the time, I guess-ish, uh, coming into that. And, and I didn't wake up every day sore, I mean, some days. Um, and I had this thought, like, man, I'm a pretty cool guy, okay? Uh, anybody out there have that thought? Uh, this guy right here, okay? Uh, so, so here's what happened to me. Um, at that juncture in my life, I, I, uh, part of what I do is I get the privilege of, of leading uh, a regional campus of Southeastern University. We've got some SEO Ohio students in, in the place today and grateful for that. And, uh, and I learned very quickly, uh, hanging out with 20-year-olds, that I am not cool at all, okay? Um, and and here's, here's where I came to, though. And this is, this is a liberating thing. If you're younger and still holding fast to this idea that you're a cool person, uh, here's what happens later in, uh, no, now in my late 30s. 
and that last year of 30, uh, okay, um, I don't care that I'm not cool. Come on, Jesus. Isn't that the best thing ever? <clears throat> All my folks saying, yes, thank God. I walk out the door some days and my wife will be like, what are you wearing? And I'm like, it's comfortable. I don't care. <laughs> Isn't that awesome that day when you're just like, I don't give a rip. Who cares? <laughs> it's the best thing ever. I have to be honest, though, there are some not so great things about it. Uh, yesterday, I got bamboozled. Uh, I feel like my wife put a, a fast one on me yesterday. She's like, I'm going to take my oldest son, who's a seventh grader, so I'm going to take him to soccer practice. Um, and then my little one came. He's 10. He's fifth grader. He, hey, they're doing a gardening day at the elementary school. Dad, can we go? And I'm thinking, you know, we're going to put some potted plants. I'm going to get to take a couple pictures and be pretty easy. No, no. Gardening day was pulling weeds in the front yard. Uh, so all of my body from here down to here uh, hurts a whole bunch uh, today. Uh, that's new. Okay, that's fun. Uh, yeah. I'm also, it was recent that uh, I had a, an eye doctor's appointment. I've had glasses now since I was about 24 and my eye doctor said to me something that terrified me to my core. She said, Josh, your, your eyes are, have deteriorated. That was the word she used, deteriorated. Doesn't that sound so intense? Deteriorated uh, considerably in the last year. And I thought, oh my gosh. Because, you know, you go to the eye doctor and you trust these people. Um, and they, she said, uh, your eyes have deteriorated. I'm thinking, I've got some kind of degenerative ocular disease. And I said, what could cause such deterioration? And she said, well, uh, it's going to happen from now on. Um, and I was like, oh, cool. Um, that's what we're doing. I don't know if you've had this scenario happen. I don't know if this is so much old age, this is much absent-mindedness um, or what it is. Uh, had those moments when you've walked into a room and forgotten why you've gone there. Can I get a witness in the house? Okay. Um, right? And, and then there's this moment. Uh, some of this, I think, just might be being a husband um, where you go and they, your wife says, hey, go get that thing out of that, that cabinet. And you go to that cabinet and you don't see it. And then you make the very calculated choice as a husband. Um, it's bold. It's courageous to say, it's not here. Uh, when you know that it probably is, um, you know that it probably is because um, it's right in front of your face. That's, that's, that's where it is, right? Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing the times in which we miss things that are right in front of our face, isn't it? It's amazing. Sometimes it's good stuff. I, I, I have this happen far too often. My all that I seem to see in my kids is the, you know, the annoying things they do or the negative things they do, the times when they, they misbehave or, you know, I've got a, I've got a seventh grader, so the, the times in which he mouths off at me and knows all things, right? Right? Um, and I miss, it's like I can just miss all the good stuff he's doing right. I just don't see it. I don't see it. Sometimes it's stuff that we miss where um, it's the negative habits and behaviors that we, we can't see in ourselves, but everyone can see in us that cause negative things to happen to us, whether it be a habit or, or, or some kind of recurring thing we do. And um, we can't seem to see it, but it seems like everyone around us feels the sting of it, 
They can observe it. We, we miss stuff. That's, that's part of the human condition. We just, we get so familiar with our environments. We get so familiar with our habits and our behaviors, our, our routines, that we just miss what's right in front of us. We miss what's right in front of us. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap our hearts and uh, minds around a story where we're going to watch as a person who cannot see is the one who can see most clearly in the situation they were in. So if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And pray that the Lord would show us clearly what he has for us today uh, by his Spirit's power. So Mark chapter 10 and verse 46 says this. And they came to Jericho, and he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And we, when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is actually a unique point in the gospel story. Uh, the, the last kind of pit, spot, uh, pit stop that Jesus uh, uh, makes before he goes to Jerusalem, before he will go to the cross and eventually to the resurrection, uh, the last spot is Jericho. There's a few things that happen here. You can read them in different spots within the New Testament that take place in this last moment, but you can suspect that, that Jesus is sort of getting his game face on. Like all that he came to do, all that he came to be, everything he was trying to pull together, all really not just of his life, but all of eternity was, was really culminating to this moment. I mean, I don't get the impression as I move through the Gospels that Jesus ever wasted any moments. He operated purposefully in everything he does. It doesn't mean that he didn't have fun. It doesn't mean that Jesus uh, was always super serious. In fact, I think that's the opposite, but I do think that Jesus never wasted a moment. And here, if there's ever a, a time when Jesus' attention is narrowing down, it's this time because he's getting ready to do what all of eternity had culminated into in this moment. So he's got his game face on. He's ready to go. He's headed out of Jericho. And by this point, Jesus' ministry, he's very popular. Uh, you, can, you can anticipate that if Jesus, you know, raises the dead, heals the sick, feeds the 5,000, feeds the 4,000, walks on water, does all that Jesus does, he captures the attention of all of Israel. In fact, we'll, we'll learn just in a few days that even the kings and rulers of the region knew Jesus' name. Jesus is a big deal. I don't know if you know this. It's a big deal. So crowds are clamoring around him. Any place that Jesus went, they were just people. 
There were just people. And it was loud. And it was, I mean, it was just crazy, right? So Jesus has a big crowd of people that are all kind of clamoring around him. He's making his way out of Jericho. He comes to the gate. And the gate of any ancient city was a very important place. Ancient Near Eastern world, the gate of the city would be where, where all of the, the gossip occurred. It's essentially the Facebook wall of the city, right? That's what we got going on. And then it would be the place where, where important announcements would be made. The Roman Empire, if there was a new edict or a new order that would be issued, this was the spot where it would take place. It would be hung there. This is the spot also where if you were handicapped in any way and you were unable to work, this is where you would go either by being someone taking you there or you getting there on your own. This is where you would go to collect alms to subsist. Because in the ancient Roman world, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there was no a governmental program that helped folks who could not. There were no disability. There's nothing like that. No social security. So in the Jewish world, the handicapped folks who lived there relied upon almsgiving. It was actually a part of the culture. You were expected to give alms because it was a mitzvah. It was a good work. Now, uh, when my wife and I moved to Columbus, like I said, we lived in Aurora, which is bedroom community to Cleveland. We were always in the city quite a bit, and, and my wife worked in Akron. And then before that, we had lived in Cincinnati, like in the city, and so... We were not strangers to urban environments, but Columbus is just a lot bigger than any of our other cities in the state. And one of the things that was immediately um, clear to us was that Columbus has an enormous homeless population. It, it's really shocking. Um, it, it takes you by surprise at every street corner, at every uh, highway, uh, you know, overpass, uh, literally every exit. There, there's panhandlers everywhere. And uh, it was surprising, not only by the volume, but also by the demeanor. Because every other city I'd ever lived in, of course, there were homeless people. There were homeless people everywhere. Um, but every city I'd ever lived in, the homeless people were kind of downtrodden. They were quiet, and they held their sign, looked at the ground. But not in Columbus. Columbus is like the church door greeter of homeless people, where they hold their sign, and they wave at you and smile. Like they're getting ready to hand you a bulletin. Like that's, that's a real thing. So it's just very surprising to me everywhere I went. My goodness gracious, look, I've never seen anything like it. Two and three and four in a single corner. And it was so amazing. But what was even more shocking to me was how quickly they just became a fixture of the environment for me. Or just like a stoplight or a stop sign or a car next to me. I didn't even really notice that they were there. And you can imagine that in a city like Jericho, in a routine everyday circumstance, that's exactly what takes place with Bartimaeus, is that he has been there that day, and he was there the day before, and he was there the day before, to the point that no one really even notices that he's there. Luke, or Mark's account tells us that he has some kind of name of Bartimaeus, but really that's not even a real name. The other two accounts don't give him a name. Bartimaeus is just Aramaic. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. That's Timaeus's boy. They don't even know his name. He is totally anonymous. So Jesus is coming by. Jesus, of course, has gathered his crowd. The, the chatter is all throughout the city of Jericho, and, and Bartimaeus sees this as his opportunity. 
the opportunity of a lifetime, in fact, because this was his shot. This was his only chance of ever seeing again, because what we learn at the end of the story is that he asked Jesus to what? Recover his sight. Bartimaeus knows what it is to see the sunrise and the sunset, the, the, to see people, to see trees. He knows what that is. And somewhere along the way, he lost his sight. And this was his shot. This was his moment to be able to see again and, and capture his life again, where he didn't have to subsist off of almsgiving and barely survive. So he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, everyone welcomed him with open arms and accepted him completely and said, oh, come here, let me, meet, let me introduce you to Jesus. It's not at all what happened. Here's the person who's supposed to stay in his spot. Here's the person who's supposed to be in his environment. He's supposed to, be his, he's supposed to do his thing, keep his mouth closed, keep his head down, take alms, and he's crying out and causing a stir. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. It's the only time, in fact, in the Gospels where Jesus' name, anyone mentions Jesus by his first name. Or it's rabbi or teacher or whatever. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they tell him to be quiet. And the Bible says he cries out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Of course, Jesus pulls Bartimaeus over. And Jesus asks him a kind of a unique question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus is the one who is known for, you know, healing blind eyes. And so that seems like a silly question. But have you ever had those moments, maybe it was when you were a kid, when your mom would, would say something or ask a question, ask a question number one that really wasn't a question, and then would ask it to your friend, but really they're talking to you? Anybody? Yeah, you had that happen, right? That's what's happening here. Where Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus is not talking necessarily to Bartimaeus. And he's not necessarily asking a question. He's repeating something he's already said just a few verses earlier. And the disciples, I'm sure as soon as they heard it, felt that conversation all over again. See, that conversation is found in um, uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. Here, the Bible says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the, uh, another place in the Bible call these guys the sons of thunder, which is about the coolest nickname in the world, came up to them, or came up to him and said, teacher, uh, what, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And so here, here's the deal. I, I've got kids, and I've learned that every time my kids ask me to do something with no strings attached and without my knowledge, it's always a good thing. Um, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. See, at this point in Jesus' story, in this point in the timeline, the disciples have a sense of who Jesus is. They don't capture fully who Jesus is. They don't fully understand all of it, but they know that he's more than just a teacher. He's more than just a miracle worker. He's more than just a prophet. They've had moments. In fact, in fact, these guys, these very guys that asked this question, boy, you can go back to a Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus. 
They remember back to Caesarea Philippi where Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church. You are the Christ, Jesus. You are the Messiah. They know who they're talking to. They know what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to make all things that were wrong right. And what they thought that meant was that Jesus was about to evict the Romans. Jesus is about to kick the tires and light the fires. He's about to make this stuff happen. And they want what? They want the most powerful positions that they can have. One on the right and one on the left before anybody else can make the grab. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. In fact, the way he says it is that you don't know the baptism with which you will be baptized. You don't even know what you're asking. It's pretty interesting because when you look at this passage, the other disciples, the other 12 get really mad at James and John. And here's my take on this. I don't have a, this is my read. Is they're not mad because James and John asked them or asked Jesus this. They're mad because they asked him first. They got there first. How can I get all that I want from Jesus? How can I use Jesus to accomplish my life's goals? How can I get positions of authority and power? How can I have comfort? How can I amass just like a good life? And Jesus completely shatters that paradigm. He says, what are some of the most powerful words, I think, in the New Testament? He says, you know that those that are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and they're, they're great ones, exercise authority over them. The Greek word here is kata exousia. It's excessive influence. It's like he's, they just push down on people. But he says, it shall not be so among you. You look around you and you see a world operating a certain way, trying to get more insulated, more comfortable, more, more acquisition, a better life, a better car, a better house, more. And Jesus says, it's not so amongst you, but whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. Jesus says, listen, every one of you is trying to get to the head of the table. You're trying to get to the position of influence and power. You're trying to get to the good spot, to the good life. Everything you're doing is trying to drive to that moment where you're trying to get good with me. And what I'm telling you is you need to move from the head of the table to the side of the table, grab the towel, and serve the people at it. He doesn't just say servant. He says slave, which is the lowest position in all of society. And then he blows their mind by saying, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. And so you can almost feel the tension in their hearts as Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you. As Jesus lives out this object lesson in front of them, 
where Bartimaeus is crying out and crying out and desperate for help. And what happens to Bartimaeus? Would you just shut up? I'm trying to focus on Jesus. I'm trying to get all my attention on Jesus. Please be quiet. You're distracting me from Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You can almost feel it inside of their hearts as they realize they missed it. Because Jesus came to be a servant. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And every day of our life, there are people who are crying out. There are neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. There are people you know, we, we rub shoulders with every single day. And they cry out in all kinds of ways. They cry out destructive behaviors and patterns that you go, man, they're just a screw-up. And the truth is, they're not really a screw-up. They're just hurting. They're just broken. And they're crying out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And we just go, man, if they get their life right, get their life put back together, they'd be an okay person. They're crying out. They're crying out in all kinds of different ways. Crying out in cubicles. Crying out school. Crying out. And far too many times in my life, I walk away from those conversations saying, boy, I really hope the Lord gets a hold of them. And the whole time Jesus is like, hey dude, why do you think I put you there? Why do I think I put you in that, that situation that you feel like is toxic? You know what? It is toxic. And there are people crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus is saying, would you just be a servant? Would you just bring them over? They're crying out and all you do is silence them. We live this life. We live this life. And Jesus' way Jesus' path is to say, I'm not trying to accomplish, I'm not trying to acquire, I'm not trying to amass, I'm not trying to do any of that stuff. What I'm trying to do is give away, and, and here's the real trick, is I'm not trying to lord over, which is this top-down posture. Look, I'm going to reach down and help you up. No, it's actually, I'm going to get up under and lift you up. Lift you up. Because I'm not coming as someone who's better than you. I'm coming as a slave who's at the lowest parts of society. Because what Jesus has done for me, he can do for you. So we all know, right, that we didn't get to our spot on our own, right? Like, is this... We, we catching this? Like, none of you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this room, came to Jesus because you're just that clever. Somebody brought you to Jesus. You, you ever think about that? Like, some of you don't have, like, the, you know, I was, I killed 12 people and robbed seven banks story, okay? Like, you know what I'm saying? Some of you got, like, the... I, I cut my teeth on the back of a pew story. Okay. And aren't you grateful that your parents brought you to Jesus? 
Because you didn't come to Jesus on your own. Somebody brought you there. And the only person in this story that could see Jesus for the Messiah that he really was is Bartimaeus, the blind guy. And Bartimaeus does this really wild thing. He calls out and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He reaches back. He reaches way back to this son of David title. It's not just a nickname. It's not just something they called Jesus. It was a title that was conferred upon the anointed one of Israel that goes all the way back to Daniel. And Bartimaeus grabs that title and goes, I see you for who you are. And I know that you're going to hear what I've got to say. And then there's this moment. All three of the gospel accounts that record this particular story capture these three words. And they're the kind of three words that we would read over in a passage. Because they're kind of expositional. They're kind of directional. They tell us what Jesus' movements were. And so because of that, we, we look over them because we don't realize that they are not just directional. They're not just expositional. They're theological. They reflect the character and activity of Jesus. The Bible says that when, when Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, the Bible says three words that are powerful, like underline and exclamation point powerful. It says that these powerful words, it says, and Jesus stopped. Did you catch that? That in the face of a crowd that was clamoring for his attention over, over the voices of so many people who were, who were like sycophants, sucking the life out of Jesus. In the face of even a, a mission that was important, not just for, for, for Bartimaeus, but for all of humanity, over all of history. You would think that if there's ever a moment when Jesus has a singular to-do list, this would be that moment. The Bible says that when Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus stops. Because when the hurting and the marginalized and the voiceless and the look over, looked over cry out to Jesus, it captures his attention. When those are, who are broken and lost and don't know where to go and don't know what to do and are at their last moment, when they cry out to Jesus, Jesus stops. And you might find yourself in that spot this morning. Where, where you walked in and there's a smile on your face, but your heart was broken. You might find yourself in a position where the anxiety and the, the depression that you feel is so overwhelming that most nights you put your head out on a pillow and you cry yourself to sleep and you wonder, how am I ever going to get out of bed? You shed tears over, over son or daughter who, who you poured your life into, but for, for whatever reason, and you can't, can't do the calculus of it, but, but, but they're far from God. It feels hopeless because you look at all the choices and all the decisions, and it feels like, boy, they're burning every bridge along the way. Maybe you're in a marriage that just says, man, it's crashing against the, the rocks right now, and man, how is it ever going to happen? Or you got a diagnosis that, man, that nobody comes back from this.
Maybe you do have that story. Or you grew up in that family. And every generation that you can recount, every family member that you've got going on has the same problems and the same hangups. And, and you've kind of come to the place where you resigned to this is just the way we are. This is the life I've got to live. What you need to hear today is no matter how broken your life may seem, no matter how far Jesus may feel, no matter how, how messed up you are, that if you will cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, Jesus will stop for you. He'll hold the crowd. He'll hold the world. His whole purpose was to seek and save those who are broken and lost, and you qualify. You qualify. Jesus will stop for you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You just lift your heart, you lift your voice, and you say, Jesus, son of David. I mean, how desperate is that plea? Have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. He says, hey, what do you want? Jesus, I want to be whole. Jesus, I want to be forgiven. I want to be healed. I want to be set free. I want to be delivered. I don't want this crippling pressure to govern my life anymore. I want to walk with you. I want to be in you. And Jesus goes, you got it. You got it. That's why I came. The Bible says that for Bartimaeus, it was immediately he recovered his sight. And he followed Jesus on the way. I don't know what you walked into the room with today. I don't know the pain you carry. But I do know that no matter how marginalized you feel, no matter how much you feel unseen, unheard, and on the fringe, Jesus will stop for you. And he can heal that broken heart. He can mend that fractured relationship. He can take that thing that seems too far gone and turn it all around. And I can't say to you today that it'll be one of those immediately moments. I can't promise you today that it'll be like Bartimaeus and everything's right in just a second. I can't do that, but I can say that Jesus will stop and he will bring a process of healing into your life that will be transformational. And you'll look back and go, oh man, I've never been the same. So across this room, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to offer two points of reflection and prayer this morning. The first is sort of like the contours of this story. Maybe for you, you felt the awkwardness in your own heart and your, your own life as you heard the, the account of these early followers of Jesus and the way they missed it, it's tough to hear that kind of message. It's tough to hear those kind of words and think that applies to you. The times in which hurting people are around you and uh, you've got everything they need and you kind of move on. Because the cares of this life and the, the busyness of our schedules and all the things overtake us. And no one here, myself included, wants to believe that I, I have marginalized anyone 
I don't want to believe about myself that, that I've heard the cry, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me from somebody, and I don't stop. But if I'm honest here today, I have to believe that that happens in my life. I have to believe that there are moments when I'm so focused on all the stuff I care about, even the good stuff like following Jesus, that I miss what Jesus is up to. I miss the interactions that I have with my neighbors. I miss it my coworkers. I miss it in the simple daily routines like getting a cup of coffee at Starbucks or the gas station. I miss it. And my prayer for you, maybe for you, even as we pray in just a moment, would be that faces and names start scrolling in your mind. Where you would think about those people who are right now in your life, not necessarily strangers, but people who are regular parts of your life that you've just kind of grown to overlook, but now you can't help but see them. What you want to pray right now is, Jesus, help me. Help me be like what you said. Help me be a servant. Help me even to come take the posture of a slave so that I can take all that has been given to me and I can come up under people and alongside of people and help lift them toward Jesus. So maybe you need to pray that prayer in just a moment with me, but maybe... You're in that other part of the story. You identify a whole lot with Bartimaeus right now. The situation is such that you're crying out. You got hurt and pain in your life got difficulty and challenge. You seem overwhelmed. You seem fearful. You feel unseen. You feel unheard. You feel so broken that you don't feel like maybe you can be repaired. And maybe for you, you need to cry out to Jesus. You're not crying out to Josh. You're not crying out to some pastor or some church leader. Crying out to Jesus. Because you can be assured that Jesus will step into your situation. He'll speak to your heart. He'll visit you where you are. And he'll lead you on a pathway to wholeness as you follow him. So across this room, would you just stand with me this morning? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And however you need to pray today, I want to empower you to do that. I want you to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Lord spoke something in your heart today during worship. Maybe it was something completely different than what I said that he was dealing with you on the way in the room. Wherever, however God wants you to respond, do, do it faithfully right now. But we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask us to have our eyes opened. Have our eyes open to see those who are hurting around us be willing to receive all that God has for us when we pray. Jesus, we come to you now and we're grateful because you are good. God, we're reminded just how good and faithful you are. But you're not just good, you're great. 
says, not only, care, not only do you care your love for us, but you also have the capacity to change our lives. And God, I pray for that first group of folks that we talked about, Lord. God, I pray right now that you would begin to, to stir something in our hearts. Not like a burden that we feel in the sense of carrying heavy weights, but a burden that we feel in the sense of purpose and meaning. God, I pray for names and faces to kind of cross our minds, for, for regular daily interactions that maybe we've overlooked for some time, but now they, they come fresh and anew in light of your word. And I just pray right now, Lord, for the, the boldness of the Holy Spirit to just bring people to Jesus, to just serve them. God, I pray for the, the voices that are crying out right now in our lives, God, from our neighbors and our coworkers and our families, our friends, our fellow students. God, who are crying out right now, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And maybe we didn't hear it before. Maybe we didn't see it before. But God, I pray that we can't unhear it. We can't unsee it now. That all we can do right now is hear those voices and not feel overwhelmed because we're trying to accomplish your purposes by ourselves, but rather we feel empowered because we're trying to just bring them to you. So God, I pray that you would help us to see what we, we're having a hard time seeing. And God, I pray for those right now who have walked in with some really heavy burdens. Maybe the burdens feel too great to bear. The weight of the pain, the weight of the loss, the weight of the anxiety, the loneliness, the fear, the doubt, the worry, the diagnosis, the fractured relationship. It feels like it's just too much. But God, I pray that faith would rise today like it did with Bartimaeus. That those who are hurting right now would lift their hearts and lift their voices to you in confidence that you will hear and respond. That you will stop. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. God, we're grateful because there's nothing we could ever do that could earn your ear. There's nothing we could ever do that could, could cause us to be, be worthy of anything that you give us. Nevertheless, you give us all these things we don't deserve, and you don't give us all these things we do deserve. And so thank you, God. And I pray your mercy and your grace would be poured out in great measure today so that those that are broken and hurting and they don't know what to do would realize there is a way out, and his name is Jesus, and he will stop. And I pray, I pray that this church would be a place where the hurting can be healed and where the followers of Jesus Christ are listening to those who are crying out and bringing them to Jesus. May they do that not in their own strength and their own power, but by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, Pastor Anthony.